The following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel. It's time to blow the trumpet in Zion. Welcome to Pilgrim's Progress, brought to you by the National Prayer Chapel with Pastor Ray Greenlee. Or, having already taken off all moral uncleanness and residue of depravity in humility, you must receive the ingrafted word, the one being able to save your souls. James chapter 1, verse 21. This is the word of God. Literally, having taken off a completed task, all moral uncleanness, all sexual uncleanness, all lying and cheating and stealing, all bitterness and anger, taken off all moral uncleanliness and the residue of depravity. Take it off. It's a finished work in Jesus Christ. Now, I've been sharing this out of the book of James this week. Now I'd like to share with you a story. We're going to change the pace today. You may have heard me share this story before, but I urge you, listen again. Hear what this precious brother is saying to us. It comes from a book entitled Remarkable Miracles by Guy Bevington. It's a Logos classic. Guy Bevington was a holiness evangelist. He began his ministry in 1920, primarily in Ohio, Cincinnati, sometimes South Chattanooga, Tennessee. He was a man who trusted the Lord. Listen as I share with you. We are not living in Christ's day nor the Apostles' day. Let us fully grasp from the Bible, the possibilities of our day, the manifestations of the power of God, all come through consecrated prayer. What is consecrated prayer? Real, earnest, believing, solicitous prayer. Prayer that will not take no for an answer. Prayer that moves mountains. I did not always find it easy to obey God in regard to my call to the evangelistic field, as some others have found their calls. I saw my defects as standing out far greater than the power of God. I had quite a time before I felt secure in venturing out to fully trust God. I had an equally difficult time getting to the place where he could trust me, definitely the most essential of the two. Now, he goes out in public ministry. He's not been to a Bible school. He's not been to a seminary. He was in a meeting in Ohio, and a man in the lumber business came to him and said, You ought to hold a meeting down where I live. Well, sir, where do you live? Twenty-two miles from here. So I prayed over his request and felt somewhat inclined to give the matter further consideration. I asked him for the names of the leaders, and he gave me two names. After the meeting closed where I was, I went to the woods. I found a hollow log. I crawled in to that protected place, and I set my heart on finding the will of God. I decided to wait before God 
until he gave me a very definite answer. I spent the next 48 hours in that hollow hotel, making it a total of 120 hours to get things straight from headquarters. Now, listen to what this man is saying. He's saying that he spent a total of 120 hours in prayer in order to find out the will of God regarding the call to an evangelistic meeting. He continues, It pays to know what we're doing when it comes to dealing with God or minding Him. This is where the trouble is with so many. They jump to conclusions when they should proceed slowly. Brother Knapp taught that nine times out of ten we get an impression from Satan. So we need to wait, get still, get where God can actually talk to us. So I searched for 120 hours for the mind of God. And he gave me clear assurance. He wanted me to go to this place. After I finally had gotten really still, free from everything else, he showed me the road I was to take. I saw a clump of trees and a little traveled road running off to the left and down to a schoolhouse. Between the main road and the branch road was quite a grove of small trees. The schoolhouse stood down a slope in front of the creek with a large cornfield beyond that. Further back yet stood a large farmhouse, a big barn, some outbuildings, and a windmill. I said, Amen, Lord. That is good enough. Now please understand, he's never been to this place. He's never seen this place. But the Lord shows him in detail where he is to go. He says, I backed out of that hollow log and I went down to the house to tell the family where I was going. I ate some dinner with them and started out on the 22-mile walk carrying two heavy suitcases filled mostly with books to sell. I traveled until sundown and stopped at a house to ask the owner for a drink of water. I gave out some of the tracts and talked about salvation to that man and then told him where I was headed. We talked about salvation until after dark, for I had become very interested in his soul and that of his wife. I did not yet know where I would spend the night and was relieved when he said to me, Why don't you stay with us tonight? The next morning he said, See here, you're going down there on uncertainties. I know the man you will have to deal with. He is a hard-headed German. Now, right down this road, there's a church, but we have no services and we have no Sunday school. If you'll stay here, I will give you the best room in the house and you'll have all the time you want to pray. Give us a meeting and then go to the other place since you don't have any definite dates anyway. Well, that sounded pretty reasonable to me. It seemed to be good logic. A great trap that Satan sets. He has little trouble getting lots of victims to fall into it. This was a case where it paid to pray through, for Satan would have stopped a pretty good chance or would have stood a pretty good chance of sidetracking me if I'd not spent those hours in that log getting everything straight. Yes, it pays to get plain, definite orders, even if it does take 120 hours. I want to say to you, out of my own experience, many times the Lord has given me very clear direction. And I have been forced by Satan to look at other opportunities. But because of the very clear and direct word of God, I have refused those offers 
and continued to stand by faith, believing that he would do all that he said he would do. So I said to the man, I can't stop now, but maybe I can come back. He still believed that I ought to stay, knowing that the great obstacle of this German man stood in the way of opening the schoolhouse. But I went on. I gave out tracks all along the road, and when I got within ten miles of the schoolhouse, I told people, people where I was going and what for. And one woman looked very doubtful, and she said, Oh, I do wish you could get a meeting and a Sunday school at that place, because the people are getting desperate for God there. Many are so ungodly and so wicked that they go into the woods Saturday night to play cards, gamble, and drink, have rooster fights until Monday morning. Oh, how I wish you could. Oh, how many get stuck on that pesky butt. I went on, and when I was within four miles, I stopped to get another drink. I gave out tracts and told the family of my mission. The woman of the house sighed and said, I do hope you can get something started, for they are a very wicked people down there. Their wickedness reaches all over the county. She paused and then continued. You see that girl in the garden? She's 13 and my only living child. Every Saturday, my husband goes over to the rock house in the woods where they gamble and swear and chew and smoke and tell all sorts of dirty yarns. He takes my girl with him to do the cooking. She, being innocent of the danger, rather enjoys it. I've done everything I can to prevent it. I've even tried to get the neighbors to help me break up that hellish work, but all the men are involved in it. They like to have my girl there to do the cooking for them. I don't know what to do about it. They leave here about one o'clock on Saturday and don't get back until Monday morning. Often they do not come back before night on Monday. And that means I have all the farm work to take care of. Well, I kept going along, praying and handing out tracts. At another place, I was asked to stop and have a meeting in a forsaken Baptist church. I kept going. My burden was increasing as I came near the end of my journey. I soon met a man and a wife and gave them some tracts, and they asked me my business there and shook their heads when I told them. Starting to pass on, they stopped and called back, You had better stir up some of those other hollows instead, for I tell you that you will be fooling away your time in that awful neighborhood. Those are the ones that Jesus came for, I replied. Yes, yes, but if you knew what we know, you would never stop there. There have been many attempts, and all of them have failed and left the place worse every time. So I walked on along, thinking and praying, God, this is your work. What does all this mean? What's that to thee? Follow thou me was all the consolation I could get from God. Well, that was enough. I praised his name. The man wasn't yet finished, and he, he turned around, and he overtook me, and he stopped me, and he said, I live over on the other side of that hollow. We'll give you a good room and all you can eat, and you have a certainty there. But up at that schoolhouse, it's a dark prospect. If there's any place on earth that needs a meeting and a Sunday school, it is our neighborhood, and we will see that you get some money, too. You will get none where you are headed. Well, that was quite an inducement, but it was not the right place. So I thanked him for his kind offer and said, I may come back when I get through out there. Let's stop a moment. I want you to see 
that this man had many opportunities offered to him, all in the service of Almighty God. But the Lord God of heaven had said, No, you go to this place. Now, if he had not spent the time to be clear about where God wanted him to go, he could have gone to any one of these places, but the Holy Spirit would not have met him there. He continues, You will be of no account when you're through there, even if you come out alive. Those were ominous words indeed, but I had received my orders back in that hollow log. I preferred to obey God and run my chances with him rather than accept man's invitation. I continued on toward this unknown, dark prospect before me. Soon I saw a faint road branching off to the left with a diamond-shaped clump of trees and a schoolhouse. I knew at once that that was the place I had seen. I had arrived at my destination. Behind the schoolhouse I saw a creek and a cornfield. Beyond them sat the large farmhouse, the big barn, and the windmill, all that I had seen. Well, I said, this is the place. I made my way down through the clump of trees to the schoolhouse. I tried the door and found that it was locked. So I pushed my way through weeds higher than my head around to the back of the schoolhouse. Then I got down on the ground, on my face, in the midst of those weeds, and I began to praise God for landing me right at the spot that he'd shown me in my hollow log 22 miles ago. Father, I'm so thankful that I escaped the enemies I encountered on the way who tried to get me off the line. Lord, I'm so glad thou made it possible for me to pray clear through and to get my orders direct from you. I am glad that thou hast fixed me up so I am able and perfectly willing to run the gauntlet facing some very muscular giants who've been swinging their clubs and aiming to scare me off. I'm confident thou will enable me to run through without a scratch. So I just lay there for some time, praising God, thanking him. And then he let his glory pour right down into my soul. Now some of you have no clue what he just wrote. When the presence of God comes down in this studio, I want to jump up and shout. When the presence of God comes in response to our prayers and our praise, our hearts are filled and overflowing. I was so troubled this morning as I prayed. I was having a hard time getting quiet. My spirit was disturbed. I'd been praying through on a very specific issue. And the Lord has given me very clear words. And suddenly I remembered that in the early hours of this morning, before I was fully awake, I was just in that twilight zone in the early morning dawn. And the Lord had spoken to me. He said, within the next 30 days. I woke up. I said, what was that about? And didn't think any more about it. Until I went to my appointed place in the prayer closet and I was struggling before God. And suddenly I remembered that word. And I began to praise him. I began to worship him. And suddenly everything shifted. Everything changed for me. It was then that I heard, read this story to my brothers and sisters. We need the word of God. 
But it's not going to happen if we are not giving ourselves to constant prayer. There are so many difficulties, so many giants swinging clubs at us. There is such blockage in the realm of the physical world and in the spiritual realm. And the only way through these blockages is through consistent, constant, soulful prayer as we come into the presence of Jesus and get quiet enough. But notice what happens. I began after my prayer time to return to dealing with the practicalities of my mission. And so I got up and set off for the nearest house to hand out tracts and inquire where a certain man lived. In the second house on the right, the woman on the house of the house exclaimed. And I thanked her and started on, and she said, Say, aren't you a preacher? Yes, ma'am, I am. Well, are you going to hold meetings in the schoolhouse? Yes, I expect to. Oh, I do hope you can, but... Her voice trailed away. There it was again, that but. I'd learned to ignore the buts. So I turned in the direction of the house of this gentleman, and I walked away. Soon I came to the house and a large barn, second on the right, just as she had said. I saw a very big fellow out in the truck patch, cutting down weeds. There had been so much rain that he could not plow it for his corn yet. So I set my suitcase down and offered a friendly greeting to him. He looked up and responded cordially. Encouraged, I asked, are you so-and-so? Yes. So what? Well, I'm a holiness evangelist. Before I could even finish the statement, he had straightened up on his hoe and he had said, a what? A holiness evangelist. He repeated the phrase to himself and then he said, you know, I've seen all sorts of evangelists and preachers, but I don't believe I ever saw one by that name. Well, sir, just come out here and look one right in the eyes. Intrigued by now, he came closer to the fence and asked, well, what do you want of me? Well, I want to get in that schoolhouse you have control of and hold some meetings, get someone saved and organize a Sunday school. Well, I personally would be delighted to unlock the door and let you in for that good purpose. But I've been notified from the giant on the throne that I must not unlock that door for preachers. The benches are all just about whittled up anyway. I'm real sorry, though. I know it would make my wife real happy to have you hold a meeting. She would take hold and help you all she could— he really did seem sorry for rejecting my request. Then he said, it's about dinner time. Why don't you come up to the house with me and let's have something to eat? So we went. It was somewhat of a strained meal, for his wife obviously felt very bad that her husband would not open that door. It was not clear what his authority or power was in the situation. It was just clear that unless he unlocked that door, there would be no meeting. That door was to become the all-important item over the next nine days. When dinner was over, he finally spoke. Mister, I was down at the mill three or four days ago, and a friend of mine, a trustee over at the other road, told me he would that they had just finished their new schoolhouse, and he said that I should send a preacher over if one came by the house. They'd like to have a meeting there and have a Sunday school started. With that, he led me out onto the porch, and he said, Pumpkin Hollow. You go back down the road until you come to the first pair of bars on your left, and you turn down across that bottom. He said, I think it's about three miles. And then I was dismissed. I picked up my suitcases, and I started off down the road thinking to myself, Pumpkin Hollow? Ha! That's not what I came for. Well, Lord, where am I going now? What's that to thee? Follow thou me came as my only answer. So I kept going until I came to a long hill on my right. And the voice said, the path is the way. So up that great hill, I began to climb, lugging my two heavy suitcases. Well, Lord, where in the world am I going now? What's that to thee came the reply. 
So up I climbed, and asking no more questions, finally I reached the summit of the hill, and I dropped my suitcases under a large oak tree. And the same voice said, This is the place. This, Lord? Yes. I sat down under the oak tree and examined my situation. Since the most obvious hindrance to having the meeting was the locked door, I felt that was where I should begin. I stayed under that tree for the next nine days and nights. I had nothing to eat, but there was not a concern for me because I knew my burden was to get that door unlocked. God had sent me there to hold a meeting, and Satan was trying to hinder that meeting. My business now was to pray that door open. Breaking the door down would not solve the problem, nor would giving up. That would be disobeying God and disregarding his orders. So I embarked on nine days of prayer. Why did it take so long? Simply because I could not get still enough any sooner. After the first 24 hours, Satan came down and argued his position. I had a conflict with him, and almost every day I had a fight with him. Then he brought up Pumpkin Hollow as a much better site than where I'd been laying, as it had rained on me three days and nights. He stressed the fact that because I was so damp and shivering under that tree, I would contract a cold, pneumonia, it would break up all of my meetings for the rest of the year. Not only that, he gloomily continued to inform me that such an illness would surely land me in the grave prematurely. And so it went for eight days and nights. On the morning of the ninth day, I began to sense that I was becoming still before the Lord. At the fifth hour of that day, I rose from my face and held up the Bible while I praised God that the door was going to be opened. I cried out, Well, Mr. Devil, if you have any more material down there in hell, just bring it on right up here. I have met every objection you offered with the word. He could not come up with any more arguments. He had exhausted all of his resources. I dropped back down on my face, <clears throat> pardon me, feeling sure I was near the opening of that door. At noon, I knew I was becoming totally still. And oh, how desirous I was to keep that condition. I did not even want to breathe. Several times, I held my breath until I could hardly get any air. Many times when I was so close to the object of my desire, I would hold my breath and just barely touch it. So I kept getting smaller and smaller, smaller, and even yet smaller, until I saw myself as a small worm not over an inch long. And I began to whisper, Glory. I repeated the word again and again, ever so softly for fear of losing ground in my efforts. But seeing that I did not, I felt assured that victory was near. In a couple of hours, I was very still, oh, so still, when I said, Now, Lord, thou wilt open that door. I heard a key go into that lock. I heard it turn and I saw the door swinging open. As the door opened, it left a mark where it rubbed on the floor. And I cried out, Oh, glory, it's open! Inasmuch as this meeting had been such a hard pull from the start, beginning with the many hours spent in that hollow log, I felt I had the right to do as Gideon had done and ask for a second witness. So I dropped on my face again, and I whispered, Lord, Thou did answer twice for Gideon. I believe you will answer again for me. 
I held very still. And in about 15 minutes, I was as small as before. I heard the same sounds. I saw the mark quite plainly once more. I jumped up and I praised God for the wonderful victory after the nine days of intense battle. Then I picked up my suitcases and I went marching back down that hill. I saw the man out in his truck patch again. Seeing me as well, he yelled, Well, well, how was it in Pumpkin Hollow? I didn't reply. He said, You've had a good time. Yes, I've been having a fine time. Well, I knew you would. Say, we just got through with our dinner. Why don't you go on up to the house and get something to eat? You look like you could use something. I went on into the house and was greeted warmly by his wife. I'm so glad to see you. While we were eating dinner just now, my husband had to get up three times to answer the phone regarding the meeting here. She seemed surprised. But I wasn't. Please remember that I had been doing my duty all along by giving out tracks all along the 22-mile trip, telling everyone what I wanted. This had given God a foundation to work with. Then as soon as I reached the tree and began to pray, God began to first work on all those people and then work through them by having them phone this man concerning the meeting. As I was beginning to get still under the tree, God had three of those people call him and remind him that they ought to have a meeting there. He soon tired of that, and after answering the third call during his dinner, he suddenly said, Wife, have that mare saddled. Get Frank, their ten-year-old boy. Tell him to bring her up and saddle her up and go over to Pumpkin Hollow and tell that preacher to come here as soon as he gets through. That was at the very time I heard the bolt turn in the lock and saw the door open to rub the mark on the floor. God had given me the witness, the evidence that my petition was answered after nine days of praying for that door to open. And he gave me the witness as soon as this man gave his consent. We can rest assured that God will give us a satisfactory witness when we pray through and wait for him to respond. I want to stop a minute and speak about this issue. We often pray for things as I have. But it often will take time for God to work out all the details. So as we're praying and waiting on God, God's putting together the people and the resources to bring to pass what we're asking him for. I know we want everything now. We want it quickly. But God has to work in such a way in other people's lives that he doesn't destroy things that he has no intention of destroying. And he has to set in motion things that we know nothing of in order to arrange the circumstances such that our prayer can be answered. God works organically, not mechanically. He doesn't jerk things out and plug things in. He works slowly, organically, so as not to destroy other people's lives, to make arrangements for what we're asking. And then, as those arrangements are arrived at, then God will answer our prayer and give us the confirmation and the direction when God said to me within the next 30 days, what he was really saying to me was, I have some work to do, Ray, and I can't answer your prayer today, but I'm in the process of answering your prayer. And if you'll give me the time to work and be patient and continue to just wait before me, if you will be still and know that I am God, 
I will work out all the details that have to be worked out that you don't even begin to imagine. And I will answer your prayer. I'm sharing with you a a story from Guy Bevington, a holiness evangelist. He started his ministry in the 1920s, primarily in Ohio, but also down into the South did a lot of work in Cincinnati and then down into Tennessee. Farm people. He was nobody. He was not a a known man. He just recorded some of his humble memories in this little book of remarkable miracles. They've deeply touched my heart and encouraged me. I pray that you're being encouraged today to to be constant in prayer, to get quiet before God, to turn off all of the noise. Some of you, it would take you a month to get quiet. You'd have to turn off the TV and turn off the sports and turn off and turn off and turn off and turn off until finally there was quietness in your heart and in your life. And then you'd have to begin doing as he was doing and wait on God. Are you concerned enough about anything that you would be willing to wait on God like this? Is the salvation of your husband something that you would be willing to wait on God for? The salvation of your children, is that something you would be willing to wait on God for? Would you wait on God for a job as you see the resources trickling away? Would you be willing to wait on God? Some of you are just temporary traveling through. That's been one of my heartbreaks at the National Prayer Chapel is that people have come to grab what they can grab and they're just traveling through. They're not, they're not ever willing to finally get quiet and get planted and get serious about bearing fruit for God. They're just interested in seeing if there's an opportunity for them. Well, he continues, after doing justice to a fine meal, remember this is after nine days of prayer, he hasn't eaten at all, she gave me the key to go down and unlock that schoolhouse and air it out. She promised that they would phone around and inform everyone about the meeting that night. As I passed the truck patch, he said, you go on down. There'll probably be some women and children out to your meeting tonight, but we men are going off after the foxes that have been killing our chickens. We got together and have organized a fox band, and I was put in charge of that as captain. He was very proud. We've invested quite a lot of our money in those 20 hounds, and we're going to go out every night about 30 men until we get rid of those foxes. So there will be no men at your meeting, but... There'll be some women or children, probably. All right. I have the key, and that is the main thing right now. Now, I hurried down toward the schoolhouse, quite anxious to open the door and see that mark caused by the door. I held my breath as I unlocked the door and pushed it open, and sure enough, it rubbed on the floor and made a mark just as I'd seen. I cried out, Oh, glory to our God! Then I just stood there and cried laughed and shouted for joy. I had a blessed time, nearly an hour just rejoicing to know that God had taken such pains to show me the small details, all of which were to assure me that I was on the right track. Finally, I got down to the next order of business. I closed the door and got down on my face on that floor and proceeded to bring a spiritual stampede on that organized fox club. I prayed for nothing else for the next three and a half hours. I just stuck to that club of 30 unsaved men with souls that God had sent his son to save. And about 7.30, I heard quite a racket outside with the barking of hounds and the voices of many men. And then I heard their captain say, "'Well, boys, let's go in and see what that fellow is doing.' 
They dismounted and they tied their horses and they all filed in and I got up off my face and I shook hands with everyone, placing a new songbook in each hand after I released it. Let's have a few songs, I said. Well, now we've just, we're just staying a couple of minutes, said the captain. Well, that's fine. But for whatever time you're here, let's sing. And then I quickly bowed my head and I asked the Lord, what song should I sing first? And I felt everything would hinge on that first song. And the Spirit said to me, Will there be any stars in my crown? Now I was surprised, for that was not a song I would have been choosing to sing in the presence of so many sinners. But I didn't dare question the voice of the Holy Spirit. So I called for that song. That's it exactly, said the captain. I was so amazed that this song was what they all wanted, and oh, how they sang it out! I had called upon the captain to lead, and he sang very well. In fact, he was quite enthused about leading the singing. Before the song was over, the schoolhouse was packed with people, so I ventured a second song title, and it proved to be another great favorite to them all. I gave out seventy-five songbooks to adults and children, and how they did sing. That song service was the answer to my prayer that broke up that great fox club. I was not able to preach for nearly an hour. Does this touch you like it touches me? I'm so hungry for God to break through all of this human garbage. I'm so anxious for Jesus to come and begin to break up those fox clubs, to break up the redskins, the baseball, to break up all of the cell phones and internet entertainment, to break up all of the lust for money, and finally have a people come together who will just sing glory to Jesus, who will humble their hearts, who will hear the word of God and begin to walk faithfully in that word. I'm so so broken over this issue. We need Jesus. Do you need Jesus like this? Do you need to know what Jesus' will is in your life? Are you willing to lay aside your sin and begin to just pray? To cry out to God? To let him remove from you all moral uncleanliness? Are you willing to let God remove from you the residue of depravity that has blocked your prayers from being answered by God? Are you willing to humble your heart and allow the word of God to be engrafted into you so that your soul can be saved? Are you willing to lay aside your religion and find Jesus? He says, I was not able to preach for nearly an hour. And after bringing forth my message, we had another song service with the captain leading it. Captain, I believe you should select all the songs and take charge of the singing for these meetings. Could you meet me here before the service and go after the, show me the selections you have? My words met with everyone's approval, and I never heard another word about those chicken thieves, the the infamous foxes. Now these blessed meetings lasted nine weeks. On the fourth night, the captain stepped out when I'd closed my message and with tears in his eyes. He said, boys, We need this kind of salvation. Come on, let's have it. The whole 30 of them came and began to pray in earnest. The captain was the first to pray through, and by midnight he bounded to his feet and proceeded to jump and shout. 
Then he began to preach as he walked back and forth through the other 29 men who wept and prayed until nearly 4 a.m. that morning. Three more prayed through. Seven women had also come forward, and three of them prayed through. Do you know what they mean by prayed through? It means they have finally dealt with every sin, that they're not going to take months and months and years to deal with their sin. They're going to deal with it right now. They're going to pray through until every part of their unclean heart has been washed by the blood, until every bondage of sin has been broken. Do you understand? This is what the old timers believed. It's only in our recent years that men and women have started this cheap, ungodly religion that teaches that you can continue to sin and still be saved. This is not what the old timers believed. The captain's wife was the only real Christian in the whole neighborhood when the meetings began. But now she sought for entire sanctification, to have the fullness of the Holy Spirit come down upon her. During those nine weeks, over 200 people knelt at the altar And most of them prayed through to complete victory over sin. And they said one to another, What if Bevington had failed to pray through under that tree? It pays to obey God. Even if the way is somewhat foggy and confusing, with conditions that we don't understand. A huge holiness hall was built there, and many wanted me to take charge of the work. I might have done it, except I had so many other calls to answer. I said I would come back often, and I did. But a few years later, a shrewd preacher got in there and organized his church. In three years, not a sanctified man or woman was there except the dear captain's wife, who stood straight all of her days. That wonderful handmaiden of the Lord, when she died, was still proclaiming righteousness, sanctification. This is what has happened in the modern church. Shrewd preachers, smooth-tongued preachers, clever preachers have preached the sinning Christian and eternal security, and they have destroyed the American church. Makes me weep. I'm not surprised that Many of you don't come to the National Prayer Chapel or respond to this broadcast because what I'm preaching is so contrary to what you've heard all your life. So who's right? I challenge you, search the scriptures for what is the truth. Your eternal salvation hangs on your spending time to search the scriptures to determine if what you're hearing in this broadcast is true. If you find that it is false, please tell me. If you find the Scriptures teaching that you can continue to walk in your sin and expect Jesus to save you, please tell me where and what passage. For I find all through the Scriptures just the opposite. I find that it is the expectation that we will leave our religion and seek after Jesus Christ. But many of you are so comfortable in your social relationships and in your beautiful surroundings and your wonderful lifestyle in America that you have no hunger for holiness. You really have nothing but a sentimental bout of desire for Jesus. You're not willing to take up the cross and follow him. Am I wrong? 
The American church has been polluted by shrewd and clever preachers who have built their churches on the backs of God's people, teaching them that they're welcome to continue walking in sin and they're saved anyway. All I know is that we're going to have to get to Jesus. America is very close to facing the destruction of our country with the judgments of God. God is about to have one of his great angels plunge plunge a sword into the center of this nation and divide it. We at the prayer chapel have been for some time crying out to God, asking him to bring judgment on America unto salvation, unto repentance. The great fear of my heart is that he's going to bring judgment unto destruction. And countless souls will be swept into hell. So I come to you asking, what is the condition of your soul? Do you know how to pray? Do you know how to get to God? Have you prayed through successfully so that every bondage of sin is removed from your heart? Have you been born from above so that you are a new person, no longer walking in any known sin or any known rebellion against the Most High God? Do you wait on God? Are you willing to pay the price of being in the prayer closet? until Jesus hears your cry. I'm Ray Greenley. I pastor the National Prayer Chapel in Woodbridge, Virginia. I want to invite you to come if you desire holiness, if there's a hunger in your heart for God, not a sentimental, but a real hunger for God. You know you have to get right with Him. Then come no matter what the price. We meet at the All Saints Anglican Church in Woodbridge, Virginia. We rent space from them every Sunday at noon. It's located at 14851 Gideon Drive, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22192. We're located right next to the Hilton Memorial Chapel. Now drive around to the back side of the All Saints Anglican Church and you'll see a large sign that will say Lower Lobby. Come in those double glass ground level doors and you will find the National Prayer Chapel on your left hand side. Come pray with us at 12. Come fellowship. Get serious with God. I love you, my brother and sister. That's why I speak the way I do. God bless you today. I'll talk to you soon. From falling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory.